Welcome to episode 6 of Pure Daily Talks. It's hard to believe that it has been two years now, almost exactly, since the tragic death and indeed murder of Lyra McKee in Craigan. I was somewhat acquainted. I knew her in a capacity that many knew her as a tech entrepreneur, as a journalist, and as just a social butterfly and just an amazing person that got to meet and know lots and lots of people across the country. But my guest tonight is someone who met her and fell in love and unfortunately and tragically had to watch her uh, lose her life that fateful night in Craigan. Um, and that is of course the wonderful Sarah Canning. Sarah and I didn't know each other prior to Lyra's death. Um, I think she was aware of some of the work I was doing um, and I had heard all about her through Lyra and I was, I suppose, blown away by not only how she spoke at all the events surrounding that in the, in the news, but also just how eloquently she put her message across at the most awful time in her life. I've got to know Sarah a little bit over the last couple of years, I've stayed in touch with her um, and when I decided to do a podcast, she was one of the first people that I wanted to speak to. And she's just a she's just a great person, and um, we talk about the tragedy of grief, and we talk about the awkward, I suppose, um, room for growth there is in coming to terms with loss in your life, and many other things as well. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, it is possibly my favourite to date. This is life, loss, love, and Lyra with Sarah Cannon. <laughs> Hello. Hey, what's the crack? Not a while lot. What about yourself? Oh, good. You have a new, new hairdo? And we've had lockdown madness, just. I'd always wanted to do it, and I'd always been afraid to, because my, hair, my hair's quite thin and crap, basically. And it had looked the same for years, so I was just like, you know what? Get rid of um what's there and start again from the start. I'm pretty close to doing that myself, actually. I have... Uh... Over lockdown, just you know, and my hair's my hair's already getting pretty thin on top uh, as well. Just more, it's more this sort of receding bit that's happening now, where I'm just like, it's almost time uh, really to just go go for the go for just the number six all over or whatever, and just like stop trying to like quaff it and do this whole thing that I, that I do, you know, because it's just I don't know. Well, that's age. kind of what I had been going for. My plan oh, was only do like a number six all over, and then if you want to go shorter, you can. But I misjudged the guard. And I did a one and like a one point five all over instead, so it was like fuck it, just go for it. So you just went, you just went for an accidental yeah. skim head then. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> I. It's easy done. Ready to infiltrate a gang, a Nazi gang. <laughs> yeah, I've sort of realised instead of making a whole big song and dance about doing a like a whole question and answer sort of thing. But just make it about a conversation. It took me about four episodes yeah. to make to get that thing to be like, I'm gonna start now, right? Uh, are you ready? Structure. Are you ready? I'm ready, right? Okay. Uh, and then I realized I was just was doing it one day and I was like, Kim, you're not Mark Patterson. You're not the BBC. You're having a you're having a conversation with people on the internet. Just chill, you're both sick. But it's so different. Um That's it. And like you can edit it as well, so it makes it so much easier. It it, it really does. The editing process is is uh is my saving grace. I have this. Oh, there's your cat. Tiger wants to be a part of it too. Oh uh, well, Tiger. my. You know what? I I I did think about uh bringing my cat uh into the into the the, the frame literally. Um, but he just runs about and he's got a wee bell 
on his thing, and he oh. and he just he just jangles about the house. Um, he's jealous of the laptop, so he's looking at the laptop on my lap, and he wants to be with the laptop as. So that's what he's going to try and do now, and I'm going to say no, go away, go go away, lie over there. He is not happy with is me if I'm sitting. <laughs> so how are you? How's things? And that's where I want you to be as honest as that. Don't be giving me the whole. Uh, don't be giving me the whole. I oh, did wrong. Hey, brilliant! Like, but how? You, uh, how are you doing? Are you? Are you? Are you working at the moment? Are you? Um, I was off work there for a while. Um, I think it was just a, a mixture of my mental health took a nosedive, and um, I think I had COVID last year. Right. So my physical health took a real nosedive. Um. And it just all came to a head in September and I thought I was dying. I felt awful. I couldn't function. So it took me a fair wee while to get myself back and the way of working where I could actually do stuff uh-huh. and, and have energy to do anything. Like I was really in such a bad state for a while. Mm. Um, so I've gone back to work and we're working on a COVID study at the minute, which is really, really interesting. So it's kind of, um, it's nice. I'm seeing patients. I'm back sort of at the stuff that I enjoy. Right. But I'm only doing a three day week and it is absolutely killing me. <laughs> really? So three mm. and so three days is 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 a is a strenuous effort. And are you finding are you finding yeah. your difficulty breathing? Are you lethargic? Are you tired? Are you do you I am constantly tired. Like if I'm not at work, I'm pretty much asleep. Yeah. Um most of the time. Um it's not hard to breathe, but chest pain, a lot of chest pain, um, which has been ongoing for months and like nearly feels like my lungs you know when you breathe in like hot steam or something you scald your lungs it feels like that most of the time uh, that 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 would probably mount up to what any sort of research uh i i i'm reluctant to use the word research about covid because uh, uh you know it's watching things on the internet like everybody else but yeah. um it is you know i've seen a lot of stuff online and it's this kind of mm-hmm. idea of you're like breathing in like particles of glass uh, and that's and that's what they reckon uh if you get the long tail covid um, I know a few a few other people actually who have it as well. So, um, and they're suffering badly with it. So, uh, touch wood. I haven't. I haven't had it. I haven't been out the door anyway. So it's just. That's it. And it's. Do you find then when you when you're sort of struggling with um health issues? I I always find this is that if you if you're if your kind of mood is suffering, uh, and then you get a physical uh, ailment on top of it, it sort of just compounds it all down. You're just like, oh, my head's yeah. my head's fried, and now I don't feel well. And now my head's even more fried because I don't feel well, and you kind of just start to spiral. It's really hard to, right. it's really hard to pull yourself round out of that and trying to. And I suppose going for exercise is one thing that you can do to help, but you're probably not in a position that you're feeling even like energetic enough to do uh, It's not even that. It's I have I've always been a big girl, and I would never make any bones about it. I'm I'm on the larger side, um, but I've always been able. You know, my size has never stopped me doing anything. I've always, like, you know what I mean? I would go hiking with people and, like, walk the legs of myself. And, and I would literally try anything. And now I'm kelp walking up the stairs. Oh, God. And it's it's really discouraging because I feel like I'm fitting a stereotype. Yeah. Fat girl that can't do anything. But um, it's not me. It's not who I've always been. Mm. And that part of it is really disheartening. Yeah. Like... Over Christmas when my nephew was with me, um, he's like six foot odd and he's got big long legs. So every one of his steps is like three <laughs> nine. And he kept dragging me out for walks and like 
oh my god it was killing me like we would only we'd walk from like bishop street to everington and back again I mean, on the way back we'd go up waterloo street or whatever and i would get to like the top of waterloo street and have to stop for a breath mm. actually stop for a couple of breaths <laughs> it was <laughs> utterly killing me and that's not who i am you know what I mean? And it's just, oh. I think that's probably the worst part of it for me is, is that lack of stamina that I would have had before. And has there been any improvement or has it just been consistently that? It's improved a wee bit over the last couple of months. Um, I, I do have more energy to do stuff. I'm not spending as much time just flat out. You know what I mean? I was like in my bed all the time while I was off work. I just had no energy for anything. Um, now I can do things, but... I'm sleeping the clock round like mm. it's weird, and if I'm not sleeping the clock round, I've got intense insomnia. So, so, it's great. so you're one or the other. You're either not sleeping or sleeping. Pretty much. Ah, so it's kind of like flip a coin. What's it going to be today? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I, we haven't caught up in ages. Um, mm. and I had, uh, you know, we 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 haven't seen each other since I suppose mm-hmm. the last day way back when I was planning doing this podcast, way, way, okay. way back. It was just after, I think, the first lockdown kind of started to come to, to ease up. Um, and then um, we met. We we met up for uh, about a lunch and we had a chat. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you I was wanting to do this podcast. I would love you to come on. Um, and then, obviously, my daddy passed away and everything just went out the window. You know, all the plans uh, and went out the window. And I just kind of, I didn't come back to it. It was only like, you know, this this last couple of weeks when I really sort of felt like, right, I can start putting my energy into this. Um, but you know what? It's a whole, it's a lot of work, <laughs> but it's brilliant. I'm loving it. It's so brilliant. And I'm learning, I'm learning so much with it. On that subject of, um, I suppose, of loss of, um, you know, I've just been sidetracked by grief and all on all that. Um, I mean, we, um. We obviously uh, have to talk about Lyra and just about mm-hmm. it's coming up now on her two-year anniversary. As you know, um, I knew Lyra. We weren't we mm-hmm. weren't um, we weren't good buddies, uh, but we stayed in contact. And she yeah. and she's a, she was always a real networker. She loved a, her, her network of people, and she loved kind of oh who forgot and so and she would message me on occasion. Like, wow, I love the Ulster Fry, and it's cool, and keep it up, and it's great, and everything's brilliant and stuff, whatever. And she'd message me uh, and said, oh, here, I'm, I'm moving to Derry. Um, I've met somebody from Derry. I was like, oh, right, okay. So, you know, um, and that's why I was excited to kind of hear all about this. Uh, so yeah. I suppose I would love to hear about how, how you guys met, first and foremost. Oh, well, um, I always describe it as just the most millennial thing ever. We met in a date nap. <laughs> um, and was it Tinder? I think. No, it was plenty of fish. Oh wow, that's classic. I know, classic, and also a wee bit kind of CD. But yeah, well, why you, it, it, why it plenty of fish? Been, was it like I hated Tinder. Right. I hated it. I downloaded it and just found it really weird. And I kept recommending me men, and I was like, no, no. <laughs> I don't know what he's on his Facebook under. Um, but I do not. I'm not interested in Martin from Castle Derg. Uh, thank you. Uh. Um. And I, I tried all the other ones, but like, there's a lot of dating apps out there and a lot of the, the sites and stuff, but some of them are very Belfast-centric. Some of them are very Dublin-centric. Derry's an absolute nightmare for dating. Like, it's just a horrific place to meet anybody. Because everybody, especially in the lesbian community, everybody's been with everybody. <laughs> so you don't, you, you know what I mean? How do you meet somebody that hasn't been with half your friends? You can't. It's so hard. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the thing that I find a wee bit iffy about it. 
Um, Plenty of Fish seems to have a reasonably good mix. I have done my fair share of online dating in my time, um, both on Plenty of Fish and on uh, on Tinder. Um, but to me, Plenty of Fish seems like such a, like, you know, several years ago, like 10, at least 10 years ago. So, like, New Lyra didn't meet that long ago where I'm just like, well, right, Plenty of Fish, that's, like, that's, you know, that's retro, it seems like. But I can I can totally get that, you know, the... um. The, the transient nature of of Tinder, where it's it's so mm-hmm. it's so judgmental. It's just like nope, nope, oh God, swipe, so swipe, 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 and you know, and it's it's it, you don't get any chance. Whereas I suppose something like Plenty of Fish, you get that opportunity to actually jump onto somebody, slide under their DMs with a bit of, with a bit of banter. Right. And they'll also have something up about themselves. You know what I mean? Like Lyra's profile was fantastic. It was really well. It, it had like grammar. Wow. Correct really? grammar. And like. She was using apostrophes in the right places and things. It was amazing. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. This is quite a this is quite a change. Gotta turn up for the books on here." Um, and it was just interesting. She'd laid out who she was and what she was about. And like, I found with Tinder, you don't have that. It's yeah, like no, you both like the Ulster Fry yeah, on Facebook, yeah. and that's the only thing you have in common. Yeah, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's it's not even that interesting anymore. It's just like you both like coffee you know and it's like Aye, a, like I, would you like to send a super like you both like coffee you're like uh no that's not- <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know what i mean it's just it's that like i know the attraction is definitely a big thing and initial attraction when you see somebody is huge yeah. but like you can i've met some people here i've been like oh my god you are absolutely ridiculously gorgeous and then i've talked to them for five minutes and i've been like you know what i mean and that's I think the thing you you have to kind of get a grip date with a grip of somebody's wheelings and dealings, what they're under, what they like, if they can use the correct your you know things like that that matter. <laughs> These are the things that matter to you, whether you can use the right punctuation. I, I I and you know what, I'm totally on board with that. At one point, I was working on a screenplay about online dating. I had such a rich and, va- and vast, diverse experience up in Belfast doing it. Ironically, when I was living in Belfast, when I knew Lyra. Uh, and um, and uh, and then Channel 4 brought out a show that was very, very like the premise of the thing that I was wanting to do. And I was like, looking back, it was a fairly, it was a fairly common uh, thing. But I love the whole topic of online dating. I think it is mm-hmm. such a rich and wonderful um, topic that you could delve into and spend hours talking 100%. about the nuances of like you know how people get on online and the things that they do and um but anyway i digress i'm talking i know yeah oh no it's i'm 100 on board with you like it's something that i really enjoy you know the whole i don't enjoy doing it it's horrific um dating is the worst thing ever and i was so happy that i was never going to have to do it again and now i'm like at some point i'm going to have to dip my toe back in that water and i'm like but um it's so interesting yeah, and when you talk about people's experiences, oh my god! Uh, it's I, I I have had I have had the most the most ridiculous experiences. I remember living in East Belfast, and I remember meeting a girl off Plenty of Fish randomly, right? Yeah. So, and uh, and I was in the bare mind. I was living in East Belfast. My name's Kieran. Met up with her, um, and she was from East Belfast as well. Anyway, long story short, after several kind of um. So, what I would say, fractious kind of exchanges where I was like raising raising my eyebrows, uh, which is a, a massive feat for me, as you can tell. Uh, and she eventually said to me, <laughs> "She said, why do you why do you keep talking about dairy?" And I says, "Cause I'm from dairy." And she was like, 
but you're from East Belfast? And I was all, no, no, no. I have an apartment in East Belfast. I work in Belfast. I'm from Derry. And literally she went, she's just like this, and then a penny dropped. And she said to me on a first date, oh my God, are you a Catholic? That's, she says to me on a date, I was like, yes. And she's like, and it's just thinking, and I was all, is that a problem? And she was like, oh, no, 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 let's go to the bar and do shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That was, that was, I mean, to be fair, online dating in Northern Ireland has like a whole other layer of weird date than it would have anywhere else, I think. I know, it's just, it does have a weird layer on top of it. Uh, yeah. But, uh, oh God, I could literally write a book on, uh, and I have thought about it on online dating. Um, totally should do it. You know, it's, you totally should. I mean, you know what, I have, a, I, have a, I, have a, I have a great experiences with it as well too, and so I can't, mm-hmm. I have, have had good experiences with it, so, yeah. and that's just the world now, as things stand. But look, yeah. on the subject of Lyra, um, you know, he's met, he's fell in love, um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, was so delighted when Lyra told me she was moving to Derry. Um, she had messaged me. I remember I was in Keyside in the stupid pound shop in Keyside getting some tat that I needed for like, I can't remember, some batteries or some Tupperware tat that I needed. And she messaged me and was like, oh, I can't, uh, I'm due to meet that day. She's like, I can't meet today. Could you want to meet for next week? And so we put it off. Um, and then the next week something happened and something came up for me and I put it off and that was the last I spoke there and occasionally her message comes up every now and then comes up. and I see it and I see that last message where we didn't uh-huh. and um, how how are you now in terms of where you are with the with with the grief process and how you, do you feel how do you feel you are with it do you, do you even know um do you know what it, it ebbs and it flows um like so last week I was a mess I every, everything I watched I was crying everything I listened to I was crying I just missed her um she was on a while out of my dreams which doesn't often happen but she was in a while out of my dreams and in Muslim she was being like an arc <laughs> <laughs> um like I had one dream where it was her and my mum who never met my mum died um like god 14 years before I met Lyra um and it was the both of them they were flanking me walking down a, a hill and funnily enough another podcast that i listened to one of the podcasters was walking up the hill and my mom i started shouting her name and i was like stop it you're embarrassing me lira was cackling you know that cackle she had when she really finds on funny and my mommy was just like going Hannah. and i was like stop it you're embarrassing me and now i woke up and i was like what the hell kind of a dream was that uh, like? And it's but it, I, it's, it's unsettling when you have dreams like that, don't you? No, when you yes. it is. I have you know I've had that too with you know, uh, you know family members that have passed away and 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 it's a weird mix of like you're kind of somehow thankful that you kind of had that wee connection with them again in some yeah. sort of non corporeal form, but at the same time yeah. it's really unsettling and it it can upset yeah. you and it can. Uh, set you back and mm-hmm. I um I've spoken about this and I don't mean a sidetrack on, on one grief to the other but I have mm-hmm. um I kind of have spoken about my uh, dad and my sister passing away in short mm-hmm. succession on, on a few occasions and what I took from that was was getting to kind of compare um plant grief i.e 
grief that we yeah. were we were like right my daddy's got dementia he was getting really sick he was falling all the time mm-hmm. um his faculties were failing and we knew that he was gonna pass versus what happened with you which was this traumatic you know you know we, this was not on the plan this was not on the script for us yeah. um and that's what happened with my sister not to the same extent obviously you you very very traumatic so no but i mean it's that loss it's other things it's a loss is a loss mm-hmm. and i don't think that I, I don't think it's right to say like that someone doesn't compare or whatever it was just different mm-hmm. but you still lost somebody you cared about in a way that you didn't expect to lose them in a in a time when you weren't expecting any of it so like for me it's any kind of loss is awful. Like, and I, I've had planned losses in both my parents. Yeah. Oh, have you? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So my my mom had lung cancer, oh. and we knew pretty much from the beginning. Um, once we found out what type of lung cancer it was, me and my sister had the central library, got all the books out. Um, obviously, two thousand and five, Doctor Google wasn't as big a thing, but or two thousand and four, but Doctor Google came into it, and the type of cancer she had only has a five percent survival rate past a year um we didn't tell her that because i think a lot of the time particularly in my mommy's generation if you were told the term the word terminal that was a it was game over yeah. you know yeah. they they stopped fighting and I, i'm not saying it's, it's not a fight but they they just lost any kind of will that they had to go on yeah um so we didn't tell her and she everything that they threw at her she went for hell for leather because she was determined um and we had a year almost to the day to come to terms with the fact that our mommy was going to die it still was hard you know and and it was still one of the worst things i've ever gone through but i did a lot of my grieving beforehand and the same with my daddy when he was dying we had he was in the hospital for five weeks before he died and there was a lot of grieving done in that period because we knew that he was going to die um and again it's still hard but the grief is very different to the grief that I felt over Lyra, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure. It, 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 there's all different sort of um, variations on mm. why you grieve, and I've been sort of, I suppose, kind of observing it now for, for a while, uh, and not mm. just with me, but with other people I've been close to and other members of my family. And from you can you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. I, I just had this kind of observation. This is there's no there's no uh I've no empirical evidence on this, but um I had this I had this kind of thought that grief is like a reflection of your love for somebody. It's like it's you're getting that bouncing back at you. But sometimes it's also um a reflection of lost potential. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you didn't have a great relationship with someone um, that you were, you know, say a parent that's, and I've known people who've had, you know, not particularly good relationships with their parents who have passed, um, you know, to the point that there wasn't even a relationship there and they are devastated by it. And you realize that it's the loss of that potential for, for that relationship, either that or someone is completely awesome as Lyra was. And then you've the loss of that potential plus the yeah. reflection of how, awesome they were i don't know if that makes sense but mm-hmm. that's kind of yeah, no, that's kind of the way that i approached grief and i had this weird thought when my daddy passed which was this is how i want my daughter to feel when i die like i don't know that was that was that sounds really weird when i was like i want my daughter to feel like my daddy was 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 great and <clears throat> and to have that same sense of you know that she'd she'd actually 
loss someone who was uh, for the right reasons in that sense that it was it was the loss of of a of a love as opposed to the lo- the loss of a of a potential um uh-huh. and and in that sense the the impact of someone's uh loss on your life is 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 that reflection i think i'm kind of rambling now but you kind of see where i'm going well, i think you're you're 100 right like because i think well your parents if you do have a good relationship with them and all the rest of it and like i had a pretty good relationship with both my parents um the potential you know that their potential is always going to become a day and end anyway and you always know that there's there is an end period for your parents in your life usually unless you're unlucky enough to die first um so you always know it and it's one of those things that's horrible and everybody thinks about it at some point and it turns into like a childhood fear or whatever um so when it happens it's a natural progression it's a natural end mm-hmm. um but as you said if you don't have that relationship with them then you're always maybe thinking about rekindling the relationship improving the relationship and you lose that and yeah. that's that's nearly a harder loss than losing somebody who's always been there in your life and who's been a really strong figure yeah because you don't know what could have been yeah i i, I think that's what i was getting to i i have a friend in my life who um who you know lost her father and didn't have a particularly you know good relationship and at the time you know that and it hadn't there hadn't been a relationship there for many 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 years uh-huh. and i remember it was only when my own father passed away and i had that experience where it kind of crystallized in my head i was all ah i you know, it's still obviously it's a person's father obviously that, that's mm-hmm. always important but it was understanding that that it was the loss of that potential for you know for mm-hmm. that relationship to be repaired and to, to maybe you know blossom into something that that wasn't there yeah so um but obviously with lira um you know lira was was amazing um and i think mm. you're amazing as well i've told you that to your face and um <laughs> and i and i just um i know that i know you and i knew lira before mm-hmm. um i i i mourn for you as well because i can you know i sort of think god i wish i could have hung out with you two guys as as a couple i you know, and yeah. and and I suppose that's 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 hard that's hard to take. But I hope I'm not upsetting you saying that. I just no, um, no, no, you can't. I know Lyra wanted the same thing because like she, whenever she was moving down, she really wanted to connect to people in Derry. And I was like, right, well, who do you know? Who are you? You know, what are you interested in? She was always interested in like the tech scene in Belfast and stuff. Yeah. Um, and obviously anybody who does anything to do with journalism and stuff. So she had mentioned yourself. She got in touch with Claire Allen. Yeah um there was a couple of other people that she was sending messages off to and she was like oh i know this person i was like oh i know who that is mm. she's like do you know them and i was like no but i know who they are <laughs> like i knew who you were because i was on pure dairy forums yeah. years ago um who were you in pure dairy and forums then i was sarah where are all oh, right okay i was very sad i didn't comment that often uh, but i loved reading it aye. um and having the crack like and then like you know just all these wee things coming up i was like oh, i know who he is and i was on message claire allen sure she's a writer you're a writer you can talk about writery things um and i'm sure she had a few other people as well that were yeah. on her yeah her radar like yeah so that was she was kind of thinking i'm going to make my own dairy circle because she had the people that i was friends with but i mean that's you still have to branch out on your own yeah and she knew it's funny when i first met lyra the first very first time i met lyra it was mary mckenna 
from Learning, no, who was one of the founders of Learning Pool, um, who since, and it was Mary introduced me to to Lyra. Okay. They were in having a coffee in the Harlem, uh, the Harlem Cafe on Bedford Street okay. in Belfast, and I just was in there. Like, I was having an hour meeting, and I was on pass, and Mary was, oh, Kieran, this is Lyra, and she introduced me, and uh, and then we just, and she's like, what do you do? And I sat down and was telling her, I was telling her about my business at the time, and that was way before Ulster Fry, etc. And then I think she circuitously found out about Pure Dairy and all the rest of it, but um, I and <clears throat> like I say. Um, I, I I look back on that as I say and I see that message on occasion and I just think mm-hmm. God you know it could have been so different and, and we could have had that coffee and, and I, yeah, yeah it's just that sliding doors moment where you just think you know I wish I wish we had a caught up I wish we had a, had that wee connection um, but um, but you know for all the reasons that we talked about it doesn't or mm-hmm. we will or we will talk about um, it's it's Two years now on is it the ninth ninth of April is it eighteenth eighteenth oh sorry I'm not gonna lie sorry I'm gonna no say. no don't worry um eighteenth um eighteenth April uh, my brain keeps saying it's the nineteenth because it was like eleven o'clock sort of just after eleven when it happened um and obviously by the time we went to the hospital and all the rest of it it was just time wasn't a thing anymore so my brain was all like oh you know it was the nineteenth and then I was like no it was actually the eighteenth Sarah. It's just everything stopped having any kind of meaning at that time. I think it was just waiting to hear mm. if if she was going to be okay or not. Yeah, if you look back at, at the, the kind of outrage after that happened, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was a seminal moment in the whole, didn't it? It seemed like yeah, you know, everybody was like, right, enough's enough now. Enough is enough. This is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you how do you reflect on that now? Like from versus what. The, the sort of the the feeling was at the time versus how mm-hmm. things eventually kind of where where they where they are now. I think that I've 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 got a few different views on it. I suppose. Um, I think at the minute or in this day and age, maybe people have much shorter memories. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in an age of social media. We live in an age where somebody just paints up their their persona and they they paper over those cracks and people forget about them because they're doing something else now mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's kind of the thing that i saw with the people who murdered lyra was um a couple of months later they were beating up some per drug addicts under the flyover you know and telling them don't be coming back around here and and and, uh, and people were going fair play these for doing that you're getting rid of them they're a bad element and all all this sort of stuff um, and then they were organizing food drives for the the food bank and things like that. And things moved so quickly yeah. that it went from outrage to fair play boys. And what do you do with that? I know. How do you, how do you reconcile that? And I, and I mean, mm-hmm. I, I see that there is ongoing efforts uh, from representatives in those groups doing other things around the city now, trying to, you know, engage with mm-hmm. the community, et cetera, et cetera. It's a weird one, um, and I'll tell you yeah. why it's a weird one is because I actually know people who have been, I suppose, indoctrinated under those pillars of thought. I've went to mm-hmm. school with people whom I still yeah. have good kind of, I say, like where I could still go, like, all right, what's a crack? I was saying, and and I and I know when they know that me and you ideologically are not on the same page, but mm-hmm. when we when we think back to you know when we were maybe at school or things happened and we had that camaraderie years ago when we were thing, 
but but I know and they know that when you don't see the ADA on and let's not yeah. let's not have that conversation. But it always mm. makes me think of the human element. Like you mentioned it and, and you said that at the time about the fact that um they are just indoctrinating these kids who are disenfranchised mm-hmm. about um you know about... And you do have to humanize a care and you can't you, you can't take their humanity away from them. No, exactly. Um you can take it away. I, I could quite happily take it away from the upper echelons, the people who are doing the indoctrination who are sent young fellas out and young girls out to do their dirty work you know and it's always been the way with these groups it has always from from day dot it was always a young person that went out and got killed Mm. you know what i mean most of the boys who blew themselves up setting bombs um or were killed by the police or or the army were 17 18 19 20 years of age Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you didn't hear too many of the older boys who were sitting plotting and deciding what they were doing yeah no exactly you know what i mean and and it's the same now it's we all know who the the leadership are they're all in their 40s and 50s and they're doing nothing a lot of these kids that's getting involved in that really probably think that they are doing something for for you know that they that's going to help them or help their community or help some cause or gives them some sort of sense of purpose um and unfortunately it doesn't (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't add any. No, I think. It doesn't. But I think a big part of it as well is, and I've heard about them preying on people, um, with say intellectual disabilities and things like that too. You know, these people maybe it, it's it, and it doesn't not necessarily even just that. Maybe somebody who just doesn't fit in particularly well, who doesn't have a crew around them, and I think when you give somebody a sense of community, that's hard to beat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think we've all been in a position where we've made friends with people and they haven't had your best interests in heart, at heart, but they're a group of friends. You have a bit of crack with them. You know, you're going out, you're doing this, that and the other. And I think that is a massive, massive driver for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think there's there's more sinister elements under underneath it, but um, I could probably be sued if I brought them up, so we won't. <laughs> it's something that I have been approaching several times on pure dairy um to the point that the last time it happened which was around the time i believe john when john hume passed um Mm -hmm. i just copied and pasted an article from 10 years ago and just reposted it and it was just the same thing it was just nothing had changed nothing had changed you know and and that's where you know these kids coming through this who probably are new to this and think that they've got this new purpose and they don't understand the fatality of the of the fact that this is just this is just a cycle that just repeats and nothing changes mm-hmm. and there's never going to be any impact on a United Ireland by any of their um any of their actions and if anything we're now way way closer to United Ireland on you know on on the account of just political maneuvering that's happening yeah. and you know I mean I'm not an expert on these things, but it kind of seems mm-hmm. we're pretty not far off now. So you well, know. it seems like it's coming. Yeah. But my thing, my fear with that as well is like the United Ireland that might be coming isn't the United Ireland they want. No, exactly. So what do we do in that instance when you have a United Ireland, which is the thing that they say that they're fighting for, mm-hmm. but it's not a thirty-two county socialist Irish Republican? Yeah. Because it's never going to be. That's not. It's it. It's just not who we are as a society. Yeah. You know, I understand socialism is fantastic in theory. Yeah. In practice, maybe not so much. Okay. You know, we could definitely incorporate a lot more of it. 
into our systems. But we're never going to have this ideal that the 1916 leaders came up with. No. And that's something that, like, how, what what do we do then when you have the United Ireland, but they're still shooting police? Yeah. We have United Ireland, but they're still kneecapping people. Yeah. You know, what do we do? How how do we get past that? And does it does it go then that that those who are of a Republican persuasion or the, or a, an extremist Republican persuasion then just adopt the same policy as the Unionists? Uh, you know, when things were bad here, you know, when things were at their worst in Northern Ireland, where then Unionists and those who believe in in the Union are getting persecuted. You know. You know, and exactly, yeah. and it just becomes hypocrisy. Um, and I've exactly. I've tried to have that conversation, Sarah, with a few sort of people who are, you know, Republican minded. And the thing is, I mm-hmm. I, I describe myself as an ideological Republican. I like the idea mm-hmm. of a, of a, of of Ireland being unified again, but mm-hmm. the practicalities of it, uh, the financial elements of it, um, and the I suppose the structural side of it, um, and how you actually marry, you know. The union, but those of a unionist persuasion yeah. back on. But the point being is that um, I've said to people that um, if there is going to be a united Ireland in inverted commas, this, this tricolour that everybody's waving about, it's going to go. It has to go. Has be to a go. new flag. Be a new national yep. anthem. Hundred percent. No know. way around it. We have to change it because if it's going to happen, it has to be inclusive. Yeah. But like, I mean, I know last, not last year. The year before last, so Pride 2019, uh, Leo Varadkar was coming to Belfast Pride and I got a message saying, oh, Leo Varadkar would like to meet with you. I was like, okay then, happy days. So I went and met, most disingenuous man I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Don't like him. He just has, I don't understand how he was a doctor. He's the kind of boy who would probably just like tell you you were dying of cancer with a straight face and not offer you like any kind of sympathy. It's that kind of just way about him. He's just not nice. Um... And he kind of just sat and he was quite rude, I felt. Right. Kind of sat with his legs crossed, kind of sitting, looking about him. Um, and I'd kind of exhausted all the things that I kind of thought that he would have wanted to speak about. So I brought up about Brexit and about this, that and the other. And I was like, you know, a border poll is something that's coming. What preparations have your government put in place for it? And he was like, nothing. Well. I was like, what do you mean nothing? I was like, you do realise that like... Sinn Féin have their plan in motion and they are selling it to their people and in the Republic they don't know about Sinn Féin the way we know about Sinn Féin you know they have very very little experience of Sinn Féin and government and the promises that are rarely kept um and I was like they're literally giving these people this idea that you know we've planned it and this is a roadmap and na 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 I was like it's never going to be Sinn Féin's idea you know, it's never going to be what they want. But equally, you need to do some planning because it's coming. Mm -hmm. And if you're not prepared for it, you're going to be blindsided when it does. It's going to be like Brexit all over again. And realistically, like, we don't need a repeat of that. No. You know what I mean? No. On the subject of Leo Varadkar, and I want to segue into your glorious takedown of not only him, but Theresa May and Karen Bradley and all the rest of it, but... Mm -hmm. On the day of Lyra's funeral, um, I was in uh, the chapel in St. Anne's Mm -hmm. Cathedral. And it was was a very, very surreal experience. Um, But one of the the weirdest and most surreal things is that I I had gone to 
a shop locally and bought a Captain America t-shirt um, because mm-hmm. someone had messaged me on the way up saying, um, you know that there's a theme for um, for you know for Lyra's funeral, um, and um, and you know it's kind of we're going to do superheroes and different things mm-hmm. and Hogwarts and all this stuff. And so I had gone to a shop and bought a Captain America t-shirt with just a big the big shield here. Uh. And uh, and I had a jacket on, like a sports jacket thing, like a light grey thing. And I remember going to the toilet and I was walking up through the, the back of the rectory at the at the back of the chapel. Mm-hmm. And I just caught and looked at the thing and this person was standing there and he was kind of you know, real tall, whatever. And, and he was sort of, he smiled at me and I just like smirked back at him. I know that thing when you see someone who you recognize but they're famous but you don't you're like how is that and then you're like oh hold on um and it was leo veracker um and i've always maintained and i've told this story to people that i've always maintained that he was checking me out you know so 200 i I wouldn't doubt it at all (laughs) um because he was just he had that that look in his eye you know where he was all yeah you know and i was like i like it we're at at a funeral you know rather because he he looked on the way back as well and i was like this is weird i'm like anyway i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong and because it was just this really inappropriate moment in this in the most surrealist circumstances but um your takedown at that time of not only him uh and his um the things he'd said and his inability to um to kind of get on top of the of the situation but also Theresa may and and Karen Bradley. I mean, you basically told Karen Bradley that she was shit at her job. Uh, I don't didn't give a fuck. I know, and I neither like, should. I, I, I'm so angry. I know, and and you even said in the in I suppose in the correspondence that you know who was going to say who was going to get on to you and get and say that you couldn't do that or couldn't say that. And you see, if they had it again, I wouldn't have cared. It would have just I would have actually lost my mind. I think because mm. they were trying to kind of hurry us through. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You will not rush me on this one. Yeah. I'm taking my fucking time. Yeah. Um, my sister was standing behind me going, Sarah, what are you doing? Sarah. And I was just like, no, no, no. She had no idea who anybody was. I think she recognized like one person. She just has no political knowledge at all. She doesn't care. Um, so I was like introducing her to people. And she was like, oh, hello, Simon. Um, is that Simon Coveney? Simon Coveney. Yeah. He's the only person that doesn't get, well, I'm a Michael T. Higgins. Neither of them got the, the sharp end of my tongue. Yeah. It's funny, I get under justice. The Simon Coveney, it was the mayor at the time, John Boyle. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I know John. John be a friend of mine. And John, uh, I, went over, I went over to have a word with him about something or seen him in the crowd. And I had to sort of scooch around to see him. And, and he introduced me to Simon Coveney. And um, he, he actually, to be fair, he was very um, he was very affable and kind of spoke to me yeah. and all the rest of it. So um, he definitely seems to be a nicer dude than, than Leo Varadkar. <laughs> Yeah. So I mean he's still part of that party, so yeah. he's obviously there's obviously something rotten in there, but <laughs> but he he seems like a really nice person. I think he seems very good at his job. I think he's probably was much better suited to the role of Tishik than Leo. Yeah. Personally. But um what do I know about the politics in the Republic really? Well well I suppose that's something I wanted to chat to you about because I I, I thought that your um that takedown your sort of dismantling of not only the Northern Ireland's uh sort of the impasse that we find ourselves at in, in, in Northern Ireland, uh the political situation with uh Theresa May not giving, you know, mm-hmm. backing as from the Lawton government and having this sort of washy washy, mealy mouthed approach, mm-hmm. as you said on the on the thing. It's like 
you know, I thought it was glorious. I, I was sitting as I'm going, this is amazing. This is the best I've seen anybody <laughs> from Derry speak to anybody on any uh, sort of political stuff. And it was kind of, I suppose, backed up then by Fowler McGill when he did that mm-hmm. that speech where he was said, you know, why, why in the in the what was the, the, the exact phrase? Away, why in the love of God? Why in the love of God? The death of, I, the the death death of a twenty nine woman in the prime of her life. Yeah, it? and that reaction, like I remember being in the room and going, and I couldn't see, I like I I couldn't see the um the reactions because I was behind on the other side, but. Uh. I can remember looking up at the front and like they were the last to stand that those front couple of rows were the last to stand and I remember coming home and seeing it on the on the TV that night and it was just you know in all amidst all that sadness and awfulness for Lyra that we were all feeling and that's that awfulness there was that almost a sense of justification for like you know we had it we got the watch like a load of politicians squirm in their seat <laughs> you know they were all uh, and then they all get up and like clapped <laughs> Often, often all of them squirming uh, at the same time uh, but i mean there's uh, people have said to me you know various people that were sitting over at that side and stuff and they've talked about that moment mm-hmm. and about like if you think about it, it was like leo and arlene were like the last to stand and Theresa may they were kind of like and people have turned around to me and said do you know he was one of the first to stand out of that lot gregory campbell was he written off got on his feet faster than the rest of them and i thought well that's that's interesting. It's yeah. it's kind of cool because I think I know, I always wonder if it's Gre- just a dairy thing. <laughs> Gregory has done his uh, usual foot in the mouth situation recently with uh, yeah. you know with um, you know songs of praise and uh, songs of praise and you know black singers and all that sort of stuff and and then uh, he actually met. I was surprised that he actually met with people locally, you know, from that community mm-hmm. to talk to them. Um, I don't know if they ever backed down on anything, but I mean that must have been an awkward conversation to be involved in. Aye. You know, what I read, like he didn't back down, but they said that they they came away with the with the realization that he didn't actually have any recognition of racism. Yeah, he's like com- they were like they were like he, he just he just com- isn't aware. He's completely he's completely ignorant. He's complete. I mean, yeah. and that is unfortunately, and I talk about this all the time. The the concept of ignorance when you say to someone you're ignorant. They take it as an offense because they go, I'm not ignorant. Uh, and you're like, it's not, an, I'm not, a, I'm not offending you. And it's not a criticism. It's an observation uh, that you, unaware. you are unaware of a, of a topic. And we've all been unaware of topics on several occasions. Okay. I've, I've been open to the fact that, you know, I've been ignorant in my life, you know, about everything. Because especially when you're a kid, you look back when you're a kid and go, I didn't understand gay rights i didn't understand you know any sort of any sort of inclusion or diversity when you were younger growing up in a in a white you know working class housing estate all catholics and you of course you know you you know integration with anybody of color or of any you know and anybody you did know that that was that come out as gay then was years later you know my year at school at since the i would have got called a lesbian quite often i think i just have a big lesbian looking head on me to be fair because i had a boyfriend like, I always had a boyfriend. I was, no, 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 I definitely don't like girls. I'm not interested in girls. Um, the other girls in my year that have since come out as gay always had boyfriends as well. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until years down the line, whenever we kind of had all moved away and things like that there, that we all started coming out. Because you didn't want to be other. Yeah. You know, being other was the worst possible thing you could be. And I know that's still the same now, but we're more accepting and 
to be other now is so far removed from what it would have been then. Yeah. You know, in the late nineties, early nineties, everything was other. You know what I mean? Mm. If you were if you were a goth, you were completely other and you might have had the lining bit out of you for that. Uh, yeah, anything alternative was seen as almost mm. Yeah, it, it it's it's so true and it but I think, you know, we've we have come a long way in you know in a short space of time mm-hmm. at, at least on the surface we've come a long way in a short space yeah. of time um i think there's still a lot of people who uh who pay these things lip service and try and you know say things you always get that impression when the, anybody from the dup speaks about diversity it's just like yeah. they're just reading it off a off a you know a, a piece of paper that someone handed them you know it's it's, com- uh-huh. it's completely disingenuous um and you know and you can even see the fact that like arlene foster won't she won't properly uh, you know, criticize Gregory Campbell for his stance, which is essentially then just endorsing it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know why we get on this segue down a rabbit hole by talking about Gregory Campbell, I but <laughs> I, I, um, I have been very critical of Gregory Campbell uh, to the yeah. point that he must think I hit his guts. Um, and I don't, I don't hit his guts. I would, I'd actually love to talk to Gregory Campbell on this okay. podcast because, um, but I, I do have a huge, huge problem with a lot of the things he said, with uh, yeah. not only about you know members of you know. Uh, gay community, uh, the black community, but obviously mm-hmm. members of the Catholic, you know, Catholic nationalist community, yeah. where he's been, you know, he's so he's so sectarian and bigoted, and he doesn't, he don't, I don't think he yeah. realizes it. I don't think he does. I know that's the thing. I, I actually really don't know if he does realize it. And to me, I think there's something really sad about that mm. because most of us got to a stage. I mean, I know growing up, like I grew up uh, near the bogside, practically. Um, and growing up, it was yeah, up the ra. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Fuck the RUC, fuck the army, blah blah blah. And you get to a certain age when you can critically think, and you evaluate the things that you're seeing on a daily basis, and the things that you're hearing, and the things that you think. And I mean, for me, I think my big awakening to the fact that things were a bit messed up here which, I mean, you would be surprised that it wasn't just from birth, um, but was probably when Stephen Restrick was murdered. You know, the um, he was a young soldier. Yeah. Um, and I think he was only like 19, something like that. Mm. And I was like, he's not that much older than me. Yeah. What the hell's going on? Um, no, that's not to say that I wasn't aware. Obviously, I knew about Bloody Sunday and all the other horrific things that have happened in Northern Ireland where all our people were killed. But I think it was something that happened that I was alive for, that I saw what happened around it. Um, and I think for me, that was my eye opening that actually all this stuff that I've been thinking for years and been saying for years is not the way it should be. And it's not right. Yeah. You've just, and it made me examine, you know, things a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in, um, in Rosemount in this, in this, literally in the shadow of, you know, the huge, big, Watch, uh, the big armature, the, the big watchtower, um, and on the gable wall of a house, a few doors up, was the, the message "Don't shoot me, I'm a Brit." When one of the um, one of the soldiers who who came out of the uh, enclosure or came out of the the barracks one night got yeah. shot by someone from the IRA, uh, or no, it was it was they shot one of their own. That's what it was, wasn't it? There was a right. That's what it was. Actually, they they shot. It, it was in, a, in an alley, they were thinking, and they shot one of their own uh, soldiers, okay. not realizing, in a kind of a, a I suppose, a, what was it called? What the Americans call it? That friendly sort of fe- fire. friendly fire. <laughs> um, and someone painted up on the wall, don't shoot me, I'm a Brit. And I remember looking at that and thinking, 
this is fucking madness. And people were like, you know, selling, eh, you know, like it was some sort of thing. You're like, As people are dying. I seen that from an early age, Sarah. I seen that, mm-hmm. um, I had that realization that, you know, I'm just born here. If I if I had been born in England, I would have, I could have been, you know, if I had that ma- mindset of being nationalist, you know, that, and I mean properly nationalist in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, just whatever country I'm born from, I'm proud to be from that country. So from that point, when you start abstracting it and start going, it's actually pretty fucking pointless. I consider myself really privileged and I am, I love being Irish. I love being Irish. Mm-hmm. But uh, the whole idea of like, you know, being proud to be Irish and being, you know, and, and, and having, which I get as obviously, but it's just this notion that you don't have, we don't have any, I don't have any say in being Irish. I don't just have any it, say in being Catholic. <laughs> yeah, it's just, exactly. It's just an accident of birth. So, um, so the, the, the construct of, of national identity for me, has mm-hmm. never really been that important uh, as it does for a lot of people. Um, and right. unfortunately, that's a really hard concept to get across to people that are, mm-hmm. you know, tribal or just want to see things in yeah. really simple, you know, colors like green and orange. It is true. I mean, I was looking at a, a graphic today that was up on Twitter um, and the guy had just tweeted the union's in trouble. And it was a graphic of... Um, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, and it was like how many people in these areas call themselves British. Yeah. So Northern Ireland, of course, was entirely purple, nearly apart from like Derry and Armagh, <laughs> um, and maybe like a wee bit of Belfast. So that was purple was like the seventy five percent or more, and we were purple as anything. And then there was a wee tiny bit of purple in London, and a wee teeny tiny dot of purple somewhere in the in like the top of the Midlands, and then everything else was. Scottish, Welsh, English. Yeah. We invest far too much of our time arguing about, you know, people saying you can't identify as Northern Irish. It's like, who are you to tell people that, that what they can and can't identify as? If they identify as Northern Irish, then fair play to them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, you, you can't, you can't dictate that to people. Um, and anybody who tries to force that or shove it down your yeah. throat is wrong. Um, and it's I suppose it's it's kind of like I always get the whole idea with the with the dairy London dairy thing. You know, people mm-hmm. you know the idea when people talk about dairy London dairy and the worst thing. And I I've I've written articles on this. It actually was one of the the, the one of the the most popular articles we did on the Ulster Fry mm-hmm. was um uh, don't you mean London dairy one's best joke at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Because it was this this kind of sarcastic quip when anybody yeah. and it was anybody regardless of which way says don't you mean dairy don't you mean London dairy yeah. um and anybody who corrects somebody is wrong I always That's think the worst. it's so it's the worst thing ever and even if you have your own belief where I go well I call it dairy mm-hmm. all my family call it dairy everybody I know calls it yeah. dairy even Protestants from dairy I know call it dairy. and I know that and I'm okay with that and I'm cool with it but if you want to call it London dairy if that's important to you. Pull your boots. Well on. Well on. Good. And and likewise, if it's if it's if it's you know inverted the other way, you know, if somebody wants to call it dairy and someone and someone is all do you mean London dairy? I just honestly I find it so <laughs> it's, it's every Facebook comment section oh. on every story about this city. Oh. Every single one. And it will literally rage on and you can you can look at the people who are doing it and they're adults. Yeah. It's not even like it's teenagers or something same, it's grown adults it's the same comments the same the same argument the same thing and you see it in that for Derry Lawton Derry you see it on their posts about James McLean mm-hmm. you see it on their posts about okay. anything and you're just like wait I've been looking at this conversation or this argument for since ever? I've been a kid 
when are we going to move past this? When are we? When are we going to start? And and that's where I suppose I I just when you were speaking around, unfortunately, around the most traumatic and sad time of your life, I just thought you were fucking brilliant. I was like, wow, like here is our next fucking first minister. <laughs> you know, why don't we give? Honestly, you were so. <laughs> you, but. Uh, that on a serious note, uh, you know, I just thought you were so well spoken. I thought you had such a, a such a take on politics. And is that something? Have you ever been approached by anybody about going into politics? I have. I've had a couple of conversations with people about it. Um, my problem is I'm really politically homeless. Right. Um, there are no parties in the north that I fully align with and I know you can't fully align with anybody nobody's ever going to suit you unless you set up your own political party but like I'm I'm not a shinner yeah never have been um SDLP very wishy-washy on a lot of things I think their youth that are coming up now are fantastic and I think in a couple of years time maybe whenever the old guard are out of it a wee bit mm-hmm. and and somebody like Alliance saying you wouldn't be the, the sort of middle ground then option doesn't doesn't appeal to you either obviously I always voted Alliance, but um, for personal reasons, I will never vote them again. I have been asked that question on a num- number of occasions. Would you go into mm-hmm. politics? And I think it's an assumption that people go to. And I've just made it on your behalf. And other people have made it on mine mm-hmm. when they go, oh, well, you're in the public eye. You're doing stuff. You say things. You occasionally have opinions and stuff. Would you go into politics? And I think me and you, like, for all the reasons you just said, about you know, you could set up your own political party. I see it in the next sense that if you create a political party, it's a party in your image, in your ethos, in your beliefs, in yeah. your in your ideologies, and then it's not going to suit everybody else. And the whole no, I, I kind of look at it and just think, well, the whole party political system by by de, by de facto is kind of broken because you can't create a political party that's going to suit everybody's needs. It's you're okay. just not going to be able to do it. So you're always just trying to find favor with with a, with a demographic and then what ends up happening as we know when you get the kind of the populist um element onto it is that yeah. political parties start to move their opinion based on what's popular not on trying to use their influence to tell people you know guys here's the way we should do we're going to advocate for yeah. this and here's where we're going to explain these the thing they're not standing up and saying guys this is the right thing to do because xyz yeah. it's just like oh right you think that's popular well, is that what he's like Right, that's what we like as well. Yeah. That will that increase our pop. You know, like I think a prime example would be if you think about Mike Nesbitt, what like five years ago, mm-hmm. he stood up and said, "If we vote against same-sex marriage and we keep on this this track, we're going to be on the wrong side of, of history." Mm-hmm. Then he voted against it himself. <laughs> stood up, he said, "This still are unionists," <laughs> and then voted against it anyway because he knew that that wasn't the way. It wasn't the way to win the hearts and minds of the people who were voting for him at the time. Yeah. Now Mike is like. He's he's at Belfast Pride every year. Yeah. He's uh he's turned on the a proper ally. And it's that thing, like sometimes it's a case of the populist um motion and sometimes it's a case of growth. Yeah. And I think for me, like if if I can say that's growth and I can see this person has mellowed and they've taken the time to go and, and learn about things and like the UUP have been pretty good about that, I think. I've been quite impressed with them because they have sent members to Pride to speak and they've put them on panels and, you know, they've kind of come out and said, I didn't know this and now I do. And I'm, I'm sorry for being foolish about it in the past. Um, and that, that to me, I think is great. But that if you just like flip on a dime because you see 
more people in favor of a certain thing and then you try to backtrack that you know your your previous lack of support wasn't really a thing we always supported it mm-hmm. that annoys me well, you know you kind of have to own who you are and own that you're learning lessons and own that yeah change happens but sometimes it's slow yeah i would love you to go into politics but i don't want to do it myself do that sort of way, like I'll be like, "Go on, you do it, Sarah," and I'll 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 throw you a few ideas, and you know, and you kind of want you want our people to step up and say, "Right, you know what? We're going to take this on." But I look at it and I just see, as much as I think people like me and you would go into politics with all the greatest enthusiasm and passion and will in the world to make change, you know that we're going to stand up and we're going to go, "Right, we're going to do this and we're going to do that." And then five years later, someone's going to go, well, you didn't do that. And you didn't do that. You're a lying bastard. And you're like, well, I actually wanted to do it, but I got beat down by this. I got beat whatever. So I don't know. That's what what puts me off politics. And I don't. And it's a hard one to to, to have a conversation because I have a lot of time for a lot of local politicians that I know are trying really hard Mm -hmm. and fair play to those who are uh, doing that. And I was delighted to be able to give um, Emma McCann a wee bit of a shout out on Pure Dairy the other day because he had his ideology. Here's what I believe. Here's what mm-hmm. I here's what I think we should be doing. And he never deviated from it. You know, he just well, he just had his he's never flip flopped. He's not, he wasn't he's not a populist politician. He had his ideology. He believed in it. And regardless of where you um you agree with him or not, that is to be respected because there's so many that'll just go, all right, like you say, they'll flop flop back and forth. Uh, and it does that thing. Like he, he has, he's always had the same platform. He's never changed. I was discussing this with my friends the other night um, and they were saying the same thing. Like he hasn't ever changed. He's always been on his trajectory. And I mean, he's he's been successful to a degree. He you know, he's, he's obviously very successful here as a commentator. He's very well respected. Um, but if you look at the political side of things, I think that that's probably one of the reasons that PVP as a whole didn't haven't progressed massively because they are very strict in their policies and they're not going to flip flop. Yeah, which I, isn't a bad thing. Like yeah. I wish more parties were a bit more like that, had a bit more about them. They, they just stick to their views. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but like you know, we've been talking about politics now for ages. <laughs> I know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I keep saying, I keep saying we're a way to, I don't know how many times I've said a way down the rabbit hole, not only on this podcast, but on all the other ones. I think it's my favorite phrase of the Pure Dairy Talks is going down the rabbit hole. Have you tried anything? Have you been doing anything? Any meditation or mindfulness or anything? Honestly, no. no? Um, I had a really bad period of time, Um, not last summer, the summer before. Uh, I was taking panic attacks that felt like heart attacks and they were really long lasting and it would have been like maybe a full night of flashbacks to that night and going over and over and over um just like tiny details of it you know it would have been like just one moment Mm. in the hospital or one moment standing in craigan or one moment and it just would replay and replay and replay and the chest pain would just be like crushing and remember um like i tried everything i was ticking uh, anti-anxiety stuff all the rest but nothing was helping with it so i started doing breathing exercises just like guided breathing exercises same sort of thing. um and they were phenomenal like yeah. it was the only thing that got me through yeah because right. everything else i tried was useless we've talked about this i think what you talked about is trauma you have suffered mm-hmm. with post-traumatic stress yeah yeah you know and it is like it's and it, it's probably one of the most common um disorders that people in northern ireland suffer from 
mm-hmm. because it's it's so deep rooted in us. There's so many different layers and types of trauma. You know, you have trauma that's your own, trauma that you've experienced yourself firsthand, but you also have intergenerational trauma that's handed down from your family. You know, stuff that they've experienced, which has impacted them, and then it impacts you. Yeah. So like it's it's one of those things that I think Northern Ireland just isn't equipped yet to deal with the layers of trauma that we have to work through mm-hmm. um and it's something that me and my friend one of my friends has ptsd as well um and we were talking about the fact that just there the services aren't there to help people no. so this is going to be an ongoing problem unless people can do as you've done and take it under your own hands and learn coping mechanisms which a lot of people don't and i think that's why we've ended up with the drug problems we've ended up with um and things like the low educational attainment and things like that that it all plays on of course it does of course it does um there is a beautiful quote by um russell brand who is um someone who um you know i I admire as 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 a as a thinker and as a speaker and he says that you know uh, that cannabis isn't the gateway drug. Trauma is trauma is is the is the cause of a, of so much um, disturbance in people's lives, whether it's anxiety, depression, all those sort of things. And trying to address those, um, there's uh, I suppose kind of I can see this happening in you know in my friends and family group and people that I know that are resorting to medication before they would even consider going. What are you doing? Oh, you're 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 focusing on your breathing, or you're 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 changing your eating, or you're doing this, and like there seems to be like a kind of a, a barrier here. I, there's a lot of people here like what? Look, I'm relatively. We haven't about? normalized it in our society. If you look at America, everybody has a therapist. Yeah, they're going to therapy for X Y Z. You know, here it's not normal. Yeah. If you're going to a therapist, like what's wrong with me? How bad are you? Like, are you mental? You know, are you, are you going to end up a grantcha kind of thing? You know, where it's immediately sort of seen as like the worst possible scenario for people opening up about your feelings and, and being real about what's going on with you. And I've done therapy. I got uh, at, at, um, a great counselor through WAVE. Very good. Um, I know WAVE, uh, WAVE Trauma. Uh, WAVE are fantastic. They're such like a resor- a great resource for people. Yeah. Um, And they've been amazing throughout this whole process, you know, um. And I really can't fault them. They've they've right. really helped me so much, and they've helped me my family, and they've helped my friends as well, which has just been so helpful. Um, but it was hard for me as well because I um kind of I wouldn't say that I'm like that, you know, open it or I think it's weird or anything. I think it's great, but I find it really difficult to open up. Yeah, and I find it really difficult to to let myself go and show emotions and stuff like that. So I've always been like that. I've always been like a, like I won't cry until I'm on my own kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, where I, I suppose there's um, I had this funny. I had this conversation yesterday with my niece who last summer lost her, uh, her partner, her mum, and her granda in the space oh, of two months. Um, and we went out for a walk on the. I know it's. Like out of all the stories in my family, hers yeah. breaks my fucking heart the most. Um, and she's so strong, brutal, you know, absolutely brutal. And her and her um her partner, uh, he took his own life. Um, and then um uh, then my daddy died, and then her mum passed away four weeks later. Um, and like we, me and her talked about about the process of either accepting grief, like you know, there's that there's that kind of uh thing that people talk about about don't be um you know. Don't be don't be pushing your grief away. Don't be no. Don't be uh. Don't be uh. 
totally, uh, ignore, don't put it in the box. Don't be ignoring it. Don't be putting it in the box and all the rest of it. But I was trying to say to her that, look, if you're going over and over and over something and you mm-hmm. can't do anything about it and you can't, it's not something that you can change or you can actively make. If you've gone over this thought a million times and it's not going to change anything, it's okay they push it out of your mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to push it yeah. out of your mind because, and that again, that's the process of mindfulness. When you're like, mm-hmm. this is this this thought process isn't actually adding anything to my life. Off, right. off you go, and that's okay. That's different from that's not saying that you're mm-hmm. not going to grieve. If you have a different thought, or you're like, you know what, I haven't dealt with this part of my grief, then it's okay to sit and process that, mm-hmm. and you're not, and you're not um, disrespecting anybody's grief by just yeah. uh, or that process. But if you are as I say, if, if it's something you've got done and done and done and done and you're mm-hmm. just torturing yourself with that thought, then you can learn to push it away and that's okay. That's the death, you, you push it out. Um, but equally, I think sometimes whenever it's it's come, it's pushing back in and it's pushing back in and it's pushing back in, you have to let it in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't well, have to let it in constantly, but you need to let it in because there's a reason that it's coming back to you and back to you and back to you. And that's the thing that I found because there was things and I was trying to push the images away i was trying to like i don't want to relive that i don't want to do that again i've done it i've done it to death i can't cope with it anymore but it just kept coming back yeah so i learned instead of continuously pushing it away to accept it right let it go through and then push it away once it's gone through instead of trying because what i found was when it's pushing its way back in and you're stopping it it'll just keep restarting and restarting and restarting you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's been my process, my feeling or a thing that I have experienced well, with it. But I think because I am so bad at expressing my emotions and the things that I feel, um, it's not even that I'm bad at it. I'm good at it whenever I see when I get into a flow, I can be great at it. But I'm wary of it. I hate it. Yeah. I don't like that feeling of powerlessness that it gives me when I'm talking about the things that are affecting me the most. Um, but it gets to a stage where it's like do you know what I, this can't define the rest of my life yeah. um and i need to be able to miss lira and love lira but move my life forward yeah um and it's it's difficult because you meet people who maybe haven't seen you since it happened or you haven't seen you know since very early on in the process and it they, it tends to drag you back a wee bit mm. you know what i mean it opens up old wounds a wee bit like that um and sometimes it's nearly you nearly prefer to avoid people yeah. you know what i mean keep away from people that you haven't seen for a while so you don't have to do that because every day you do you move on a wee bit and i don't mean like i don't mean like you move on from them you just move on in your life the place where i, where I was in april 2019 isn't the place i'm in now yeah. in so many ways like so many things in my life have massively changed um and i think a part of a part of the maybe uh, I'm trying to think what way to word this. It's it's almost like a pro of all of the trauma that I've been through, and a pro of of the awfulness of the situation, the awfulness of losing Lyra and the circumstances and all the rest of it. As I am now a lot more open to just saying goodbye to things. Mm-hmm. You know, where before I would probably cling on until my nails were bloody situations that maybe weren't the best for me or people who weren't the best for me now i'm just like you know what it's fine yeah bye well i mean i don't know if you've ever have you ever uh heard of mogadat 
Yeah. He wrote a book called Soul for Happy. He's a, he's a genius Google engineer and he lost okay. his son. He had everything. He had riches, wealth. He was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He had, you know, 18 cars in his driveway. He had all this stuff and he was miserably depressed. The loss of his son has transformed him and he has come through that and created, it's created a part of his personality and a part of his character and a part of, it's propelled his growth as a person mm-hmm. that he can't, he can't, he can't get away from the fact that he has to just acknowledge that my growth as an individual has been propelled so far forward by mm-hmm. by the death of my son and and I feel that with with loss that I've had. Mm-hmm. I feel that it's propelled me forward and you must feel that in the same way. And I kinda almost think that these things, grief and loss and breakups and all these things, they're like they're like mm-hmm. scout badges. They're like no they're like you know, you get them and you earn them and if nobody's been through that, they can't, they can't, they can't, uh, they can't reconcile it. And you either deal with it positively, i.e., you say, "I'm going to take this and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to change that energy into something that's really proactive and positive uh, and try and, um, you know, make something of my life and pay tribute to that person, or I'm just going to mope about it for the rest of my life." Uh, and 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 nobody wants to be in the latter category, you know. No, that's it. It's like it's like when you're playing a video game and your XP's going up. As things happen it's kind of the same um but I, I mean i think the only thing that i can do with it i have to do something positive with it because it was it was the most negative experience of it was course. the worst possible thing and i lost the most amazing so many of us lost the most amazing person mm-hmm. new lira was so many things to so many people um but she was such a positive force um and she was just like such a wee ray of sunshine you know what i mean pain in the arse sometimes but (laughs) you know um and like the conversations that i get to have with people who who knew you're in a different capacity to me are just fantastic and like at the minute um one of her best friends is making a documentary about her um so throughout that being involved in that's been really positive and it's also given me more insights on the other aspects of Lyra that I wasn't present for or you know never knew um which has been fantastic so she's always going to be there and I think something positive has to come out of all the negativity that's the only way forward you know you can wallow in the negativity um or you can do something and I think doing something is the the better option because this country has wallowed in negativity for long enough. I know. You know what I mean. And as so that, why why continue? Yeah, you, know, you you just had the had the nail on the head. Um, you know, you you can. And I've said this before. You you have to choose positivity. It's a yeah. choice. It's not a it's not a destination. You don't arrive at it no. suddenly. You have to actively go. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to choose mm-hmm. to be the positive person. And you might not be there every day of the week. No, you don't be every. And you but you know what? If you get five out of seven, you're doing bloody well. Exactly. Sometimes four out of seven, you're doing well. Sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And you have that where you get up on a Monday morning, you're right, I'm going to be doing thing, and then maybe the next day you slump, and then you just got to get back oh. on the horse. It's kind of like rehab. It's a, it's an ongoing. It pro- it's a way you say like you don't give yourself a hard time. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, you just go right. Today was a bad day. Tomorrow, I pick myself up and I start again. And you've got totally the right attitude uh, because I. Uh, from for all the reasons I said when I was singing your praises earlier, is that you can pay tribute to Lyra by um mm-hmm. making yourself a something of your own um life and using your talents and your skills. Mm-hmm. When I seen you speaking uh, at at Lyra's death, I was like, that's a special person, and 
would we necessarily have heard from you had it not been for that and don't ever feel that you can't you can't own that and and make mm-hmm. and make the most of it um well that's it as, as i've said before like i was given a, this was thrust upon me i never wanted it yeah you know what i mean like i, I yeah it just it's just never been something that i really desired i mean everybody has their you know, your fantasies about being like a hollywood star or something like that there but like it's a fantasy and you don't actually want it to come true um and this is so far removed from that yeah. it's ridiculous i know, you know i know it's a i know it's but a... i'm using what what i've been given as much as i can you know and i'll continue to do that for as long as i can i'm glad to hear um, it i'm glad to hear it um you know obviously um the uh the, the law has changed since Lear's past mm-hmm. you know for gay marriage um you know and that's is something that you know we've been talking as has been discussed that her name should go go alongside mm-hmm. it um what do you think she would make all that now would you be married you'd be married um, oh we'd be married like she wouldn't even have waited like it would it just would have been like we're getting married asap as soon as the law changed um i think she'd be really pleased you know it's been a long time coming um and I know one of her best friends, William, had said to me about this day that they went to the um the first equal marriage march, and she turned around and she was like, he, he turned around and he said like, oh, you know, next time there's we won't need one of these because you'll be married, and then then she was like, oh no, I don't see it happening, kind of thing. Um, and now she would be, you know, she would she the option would have been there, and she'd have been delighted. Yeah, we already had our, our list of people made out before I was even asked. We knew who was and was not coming to our wedding. Yeah. Um, I'm just you be know, in... we'd scooped out venues and everything. She hadn't even asked me. <laughs> uh, you, I remember I've seen the thing where she was she planning to do the proposal in New York and stuff. Mm. Oh, let's see. Uh, uh, do you know what? It was like pretty perfect. To right. be fair, you know, she'd she'd scooped it all out, even though she had ruined the whole surprise because she showed me a picture of the ring. <laughs> 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 she spoiled it for you. Spoiled it completely. We yeah. came back from Slumming World. It was only like it was probably the, a week or two weeks before she died. Um, we came back from Slumming World, and she was like, "I've been keeping this secret all day, and I can't cope with it anymore." And I was like, "What is it? What is it?" And she was like, "This." And she showed me the picture of it, and I was like, "Lyra, what the hell?" Because <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't do it now in New York. You have to do it somewhere else. You need to plan it again. And she was like. I was like, no, it's okay. You can do it wherever uh, you want to do it. It's uh, fine. <laughs> oh, well, look, it's uh, you know, those are the mer- the memories that you'll you'll cherish forever. That's and it. um, and you know, if um, if you do find yourself back on uh, plenty of fish, uh, or tundra. God, no. <laughs> I wonder, can you still do it the old-fashioned way? Is that still a thing? Can you still meet people? Not a, no, not anymore. Like, but <laughs> not a, not at the minute, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to meet people now at the minute. Uh, which is uh, like not a, not only just physically, but uh, but even hypothetically, it's hard to even have yeah. our conversation, which is uh, part of the reason we're doing this. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> on 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 this on this way, and we'll just leave it on. A, I suppose on a, on a positive note, as um, mm-hmm. you know, when you get back to the world um you know what is going to be where's that where's going to be the first place you go when you when you when the world opens up again where are you going for your munch where's your munch where's your first munch i'm not even thinking about food i'm thinking yeah. about mullockmore i want to um i'm driving my ass down to sligo and i'm walking the beach in mullockmore that's a great answer don't even care about anything else i just i want I, that's my special place that's my heaven so mullockmore i've never been i must no. check it out oh jesus most beautiful place in the world I really 
Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's on the list. I'll definitely do it. It's only like ten minutes past Bondorn. It's been really brilliant catching up with you, and um, you know, we have, I suppose, circuitously approached the whole topic of not only you know the tragedy of what happened in Cragen two mm-hmm. years ago with. Uh, as the as the anniversary approaches on the eighteenth of April, mm-hmm. uh, but we have talked at length about about grief and the grieving process, and I hope that you continue to find growth and happiness and contentment on your journey. Um, and if you ever need anybody to speak to, I'm here for you to talk. Um, uh, because I genuinely, genuinely, am um, I'm really delighted to know you, and I think, and yeah, I I know that it's it's sometimes nice to have a have a, a body to talk to about these things that don't yeah. know that don't somebody's been there somebody that knows the crack right, totally totally yeah. so uh and i know lira would be, be really proud of you and you're right she was a, she was a wee live wear uh she, she was, was she was she never we girl had more energy than 10 me's we were long overdue now a proper catch-up with uh i know i why she <laughs> Why shave my head as well? Will we have a we'll have I a, do it. We'll have a skinhead party? Me and you'll just bleach it white as well. <laughs> Peroxide blonde. Is that what you did? You bleach it I, as well? That's what I did. I bleached it today because I did bleach it before and I wanted it purple. I've been planning this for ages and I couldn't do it for for months upon months because of the documentary because we need a continuity and and scenes and stuff. And um, as soon as it was over in October, I was like, yes. And then I took really sick, and I just was like, no. <laughs> so I did a purple, and it ended up not purple. It was more, it, there actually is still a bit of a red tinge to it. It needs another bleach. Well, it's lovely. To my hair. It's such a, exactly. It's hair. It grows back. At least you have, I mean, I'm, I'm, mine's, is, mine's, is, mine's is disappearing rapidly, so uh, yeah. I, I, I could definitely be joining you. There's uh, always a wee trip to Turkey, Kieran. <laughs> 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 somebody else. Majority, somebody, else somebody else is that actually Mickey has um I can exclusively reveal that Mickey Doherty has agreed to come on to the podcast. Uh, so um and you know what I, it, it's a usual dairy thing where uh, uh like I have so many people who've agreed to do it but everybody's sliding scale is like nobody nobody like if you say to somebody dairy about can I put you in the in the in the calendar in the diary about like, what a diary yeah but no they're just like yeah. Give me a shout next week. No, everybody just uh, wasn't. It's all give us a shout next week. Is it? Is it? There is just this loose, flexible scale where I'm honestly having about ten people. Dairy time is not the same as, as normal time. Well, listen. Look after yourself. Uh, stay in touch, okay. and uh, I hope you continue to um, find your um, your happiness in the world. Okay. Perfect. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. If you're still here and made it this far, just to let you know that this will be the last week that we upload the entire video to Facebook. Uh, it's not normally the done thing that uh, you put the entire episodes of a podcast on Facebook, but of course, that's where our biggest audience is. And I have been delighted to share the experience with you guys. But I would love for you now to jump over and subscribe on the various platforms that we're on which is effectively all of them. Um, So I am a personal favorite with Spotify, but we're also on uh, Apple Podcasts and all the other places you can listen. And if you want to watch the full episode, you still can do on YouTube. So go and go to YouTube and search Pure Dairy Talks 
and you'll find our YouTube channel as well. So um, we still will be posting some stuff on Facebook, obviously, all the promo content, all the teasers, all the various bits and pieces that we need. So you'll still see stuff, but it won't be the entire episode. So I hope you'll stay with us for the experience. Um, and next week, we will be talking to the one, the only, Mark Patterson. He is someone who has interviewed and talked to me many, many times and who I am really looking forward to, I suppose, turning the tables on um, and getting, you know, getting to be the person driving that conversation. Tune in next week, next Sunday night again uh, for Pure Daily Talks. Thanks, folks. Speak soon.